One year after a personal tragedy, a group of friends decides to take a cave diving trip in the Appalachian Mountains. After a cave-in traps them miles below the earth, one of the women informs the others that they are in an uncharted cave system and nobody knows that they're out there. To top it off, they soon learn the caves are home to a race of vicious humanoid creatures who are hunting them. All of this and more in the absolutely terrifying 2005 horror classic, The Descent. I'm Connor Izagari. And I'm Caleb Zay. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the Filmgasm podcast. Before we get started, I have two quick announcements. First, I just want to thank Josh Allred for doing such an awesome job in his first gig as host of the show last week with Trick or Treat. Did a fantastic job leading the discussion. Definitely more Josh-led episodes coming in the future. He did a fantastic job. I'm very proud of him. Second, I want to announce the departure of the Giggle Guys. Uh, Andrew Bachman and Juwan Carter are breaking away from Filmgasm to start their own thing. It's a completely mutual decision, zero bad blood, and we wish them all the success in the world. They've done a great job with their show, Guys Who Giggle with the Giggle Guys, if you've been following that. And uh, when they get their uh, their new thing up and running, you can go check it out. Uh, thanks for being part of the team. Now, The Descent. Caleb, this was your pick for our ongoing cycle. Uh, do you remember your first time with this movie? Uh, yes. This was like many movies. It came out 2005. So I was, I want to say elementary. So it's on the cusp, cusp of middle school. Um, memory's a little hazy on that one. But it was one of those I kept hearing about it all the time from a lot of friends of mine. And it, it came out and it's like everyone was talking about it. Everyone was talking about how freaky it was and scary. And I just was hearing about it. So I finally, I think I, I rinsed off Netflix or went to the video store. Probably went to the video store. And I rented it from there and watched it and just fell in love. Completely got where people, people were just falling over this movie. It just, it's quickly become one of my more favorite films. It, I think, I, if I recall correctly, it was in my top 10 for 2000s. Um, just really helped kind of define what I like about horror a lot. Yeah, this one was in my top 10 as well, I believe. Uh, this is a bone-chilling movie. Uh, and I love that it's scary before... Like, the mo- you don't even really need the monsters for this to be a terrifying movie. The monsters are just gravy. And that's cool. Uh, this movie is entirely built around atmosphere, isolation, and just bucket tension. It's so great. Uh, I remember very clearly the first time I saw this because it freaked me out. It was... Um, it was right before I moved to Texas. My dad drove up from Virginia to spend the week with me and we watched a bunch of movies. And in one night we watched Resident Evil, Paranormal Activity and The Descent. And I hadn't seen any of those movies at that um, yet. And uh, The Descent was mind blowing. I was so jazzed by this movie. It really like fucked with my, you know, I think we were all a little bit claustrophobic and this movie really heightens that. I mean, you say you say no, but then, you know, if you're trapped miles underground in a tight spot, you can barely move in. You're, you're claustrophobic. No, no, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing. With you. I'm like, in general, I'm not claustrophobic. But at the same time, I'm not putting myself in this situation because of that whole tight space thing. That's true. I'm never going cave diving because of this movie. 
like right, this movie. I was never really interested. Let's put that there. I never found interest in cave diving, but this movie really put the kibosh on that. It's not like this movie ruined my my life. I wasn't going to be, you know, a free solo fucking mountain climber, dude. But now I definitely won't be. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is one that's been uh, pretty impactful on both of our uh, horror journeys. And that's because it's at, at its core, it's a very good movie. Uh, great character development. Uh, great editing, great moments. Like re- the score is reminiscent of The Thing, which I fucking loved. Uh, yeah, this is, this is brilliant. I'm, I'm excited yeah. you picked this one. Oh, yeah, I was, I was happy because it's, it's been a long time since I watched and I was like, I haven't seen this in a while. So I was like, let me, let me pick it so I can watch it again. <laughs> Um, so this, the descent was written and directed by Neil Marshall, who also directed dog soldiers, doomsday, the 2019 Hellboy reboot, and two of the best episodes of game of Thrones season two's Blackwater and season four is the watchers on the wall. Marshall decided to make a cast entirely out of women as he believed women were underrepresented in the horror genre. And, you know, you can agree or disagree with that, but the point is his ensemble is fucking flawless. Oh, he he got a great set of um, actresses here. Like they are all fantastic, and they all stand out. And you you know them by name. I mean, I I can remember. I as I was playing, I was like, oh yeah, okay, you know, so like it was just all coming back to me. Yeah, and it's just like because you know, and again, that's why the horror works. Or he he makes these great believable characters that by the time it does go down, like everything goes down you're in you're you're with them and you're just as scared you're just as mad you're just as terrified as they are and it's all because of their performance and their casting that you know he did straight up Uh, i'm surprised neil marshall didn't become a bigger name in uh in horror with you know first dog soldiers and the descent i know he didn't want to get typecast but he ultimately didn't do much after after this a lot of it has to do with, uh, I think, studios kind of stepping in on his work after this big time. Um, I know, like, the recent Hellboy movie was rife with the studio coming in and telling him what to do, how to do it. And he just got, because he was talking about that in an re- in interview I listened to, and it just it, it turned him off for a while. He kind of gave up there for a while. And um, he recently did come back with this movie called The Reckoning that I've heard is really really good it's on shutter i need to check it out cool i'm glad because he's a very talented filmmaker when he has uh something to say i didn't see hellboy because i just heard from everybody that it was terrible and i'm a del toro purist i think his films are both of them are fucking awesome i love both hellboy films so i'm hesitant i'm kind of waiting for our thing to get going before i end up watching that movie oh good no i know that i know how soon i can edit some other show schedule (laughs) um and through you i got to watch dog soldiers for the first time a few months ago and that was a bitchin werewolf movie uh he's a he marshall's fucking great with creatures and i would love to see more creature features from this guy uh yeah (laughs) yeah he he knows how to do creature features and i think with both dog soldiers and the, the descent he knows how to give you a really small, tight group of characters to to fall in love with. So when everything does go down, you're you're locked into it. Yeah, definitely. Um, Shauna McDonald plays Sarah, who lost her husband and daughter in an accident 
and has struggled to move past it. She would reprise her role in The Descent Part 2, was also in Filth and Star Wars Episode 8, The Last Jedi. Uh, I know that you didn't care for The Last Jedi, I believe, right? No, no. Yeah, neither did I. I was so disappointed. Yeah, well, she plays one of the like background technicians, a rebel or a uh, imperial person. I don't know which one. And then I don't remember. It's been a long time since I watched Filth, but that is a fucked up movie. If you ever want to watch James McAvoy lose his goddamn mind. <laughs> I kind of do want to see that. By the guy who wrote Train Spotting. He's like a he's a narcotics cop who's like really good at his job because he's like it's on coke the whole time he's fucking his boss's wife and just like unapologetically doing horrendous shit to everybody and it's it's a weird movie that's what i've heard i remember it came out shortly i think after you got like the make me not make me the professor x role yeah we were like ooh, young professor x being like disgusting stuff in a movie <laughs> i i think mcavoy is one of the most underappreciated actors working today i mean it, all you gotta do is watch split and then you'll know exactly what this guy's capable of. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah, he's a really great actor. Yeah. I don't know why this made me think of that, but I recently found out that Gary Oldman has never used the same accent twice in every role he's ever played. Really? Yeah. I mean, not counting, like, sequels where he plays the same character, but, like, every character he's played has a slightly different voice. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, I, now I'm thinking about, wow, okay. Unbelievable. Uh, and I, I just want to throw that out there. Moving on. Uh, Natalie Mendoza plays Juno, the group's de facto leader and absolutely terrible friend. She was also in Moulin Rouge, The Great Raid, and recently Annette. Uh, yeah, what a horrible human being, Juno. From beginning to end, she's just the worst. She, oh my god, and this is one of the issues I had with the sequels that, like, you know, she comes back and it's like, I didn't want her back because she is terrible. She is one of the worst human beings. She doesn't deserve redemption, you know? She, I mean, first she, you know, she fucked Sarah's husband, then she killed, I'm blaming her for, she killed Beth as far as I'm concerned. Uh, She led them into this cave system without telling them where they were going or anybody. Yeah, she got all these people killed. This is all on her. Both movies, Death Count is on her. Yeah, that's why I was like, I remember when I saw the sequel, I was like, why are we bringing her back trying to redeem her? She's a horrendous human being. And also, she got over that, you know, climbing pick to the leg really fast. Because isn't the turnaround from one to two supposed to be like one or two days? Yeah. <laughs> now she's leaping around. Like, What? And along with the fact that the last time you hear you hear anything from her is when the creatures are on the back and you hear all of them. Yeah, somewhere along the line, she turned into fucking Sarah Connor and is just tearing down humanoids two miles below the earth. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about the descent, too. That's for a different podcast. Alex Reed plays Beth, whom Juno kills by accident. Uh, she had a role in the British sci-fi series Misfits and a lot more British series bit parts. Uh, most of the cast came out of the BBC, uh, which is cool. And yeah, yeah. Be- Beth's mostly known for her just grisly death scene where Sarah bashes her head in with a rock out of mercy. 
Yeah, God, that was that's a grizzlier moment. And yeah, I will say, like, I love this cast, but at the same time, I haven't seen them outside of this movie. So most of my love is for this movie when it comes to this cast. But what I've seen them do, they are again, they're all wonderful. Like you really feel that they are like, or at least were at some point really, really good friends that like to do stuff together and had this camaraderie um, that other people just don't have um, to the point that when it does get revealed that about what Juno did with her, you know, fuck around her husband and the map or stuff, it, it kind of stains because it's like, that's one of your best friends doing that to you. Yeah. What happened to hoes before bros? Like what the fuck? This is a, you know, this is, you're breaking the code here. Fuck, you don't do that. Uh, Saskia Mulder plays Becca. She was also in The Beach and the TV series The Book Group. And I get Becca and Sam mixed up. Uh, and that's just, you know, unfortunate. Which, what happened to Becca? What happened to Becca? Are you asking me? Yes. Like, which one? There's one who gets, like, who's dangling, gets their throat cut. And then the other one, I, I, I forget. I want to say the one that's dangling is the third cut is Becca. Okay. That's what I want to say. But I also could be wrong. Yeah. I mean, when I watched this movie last night, it was after a long day of unpacking. I had a headache and I was kind of out of it. But I was like, I got to watch this for the podcast and I really want to watch it. <laughs> Fair enough. Myanna um, Burring plays Sam. Uh, she plays Tessia on Netflix's The Witcher, was also in the series In the Dark, Ripper Street, and Downton Abbey, as well as the 2006 Omen remake. Yeah, I know you're a Witcher fan. I can see the... I am. Yeah, I'm like, I'm trying to remember. They have so many fucking characters in that show, and more with season two coming out now. I don't remember her in that show. God damn it. <laughs> I can't help you. I haven't watched the show. I know. With that said, for anyone who hasn't seen it, great fucking show. Can't wait for season two. That's what I hear. Yeah. Uh, I know. Nora Jane Noon plays Holly, Juno's protege. Noon was also in Doomsday, Brooklyn, and Ella Enchanted. She has a very recognizable face. I knew I remembered her. I've seen Brooklyn. Really good movie. Um, uh, what happens to her always fucking makes me cringe just the you know the broken leg and the the bone mm. protrusion and it's getting eaten alive i mean jesus christ yeah she was a little zealous but i don't know if she deserved that yeah that's a that's a tough one to get through it's like every time i watch me i'm just like oh god as soon as i'm like having to pop the bone back into the leg just oh it hurts um yeah god um but also with that said i was wrong Sam is the one that was dangling and gets her throat ripped out. As per Wikipedia. What happens? What all right, what happens to Becca then? Becca, oh you bastard. Uh, you 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 had to have known that was gonna be the next question. I didn't. Um she is dragged away and eaten alive. Okay, I remember that now. I remember that now. Okay. All right, good, 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 good. Um so the descent has an IMDB score of 7.2. Rotten Tomatoes score of 86%. Uh, it was fast-tracked to beat the release of an American film with a very similar premise called The Cave, which I tried to watch and was so goddamn boring, I gave up. Um, 
you text me. I told you it was bad. Yeah, I started watching it and I'm like, this seems promising. And then nothing was happening. And then I texted you and you're like, this is terrible. Don't bother. And I'm like, okay, I won't. <laughs> uh, but also it's the. Uh, two- hmm? This is not a good movie. No, we have a, a, there's a time and a place and it's not here. <laughs> uh, the 2005 London bombings didn't help either. Uh, so didn't do too hot domestically in England. Uh, globally, however, it grossed 57 million on a budget of only 3.5 million pounds, roughly 4.7 US dollars. 4.7 million US dollars. <laughs> be fucking crazy if that was the ratio. Three and a half million to four bucks. God. <laughs> um, it had one sequel, which was not very well received. We'll talk more about that at the end of the show. Uh, but right now, let's discuss The Descent. And this thing, it, right out the bat, just gets, just, you know, runs into a fucking wall with the car crash. Uh, Jesus, is that brutal? I mean, you know, pipes through the fucking head. <laughs> brutal. Yeah. But, uh, to this day, man, like, there's two car scenes I always think about when it comes to horror movies. First is Final Destination 2 with the logging truck. Uh, yeah, Final Destination 2. I haven't seen it, but I remember the preview. I remember seeing that bit with the logging truck and thinking, oh, fuck. And every time I see a logging truck, I'm like, is, this, is today the day? <laughs> I don't ever get behind one. I'll get... I would immediately get into the next thing as soon as I can. Um, but there's that one, and then this scene where I remember watching going, oh my god, because you don't expect it. They're just having a nice car right next to you. Know, it's a crash, but he, like, no Marshall takes it that step further and has the pulse just come through and fucking hit right through her husband's head. And then off camera, her daughter. The way it's, the way it's framed, though, where he just is turning to her and is like, I'm fine, and you see the car. You see it coming at them, and you just want to be like, no. And it, God, what a grisly way to lose your family. My God. Yeah. Oh. It, oh. I remember, yeah. So that, that's, it's a hell of an opening. Like, it's like, God damn. Gut punch right out the gate. And you you can tell from Juno's reaction that there, there was something between her and the husband. You know from the get-go. You're just waiting for Sarah to find out. Oh, yeah. Like, the whole time, just waiting for, like, some the shoot, the ball to drop, shoot, shot, whatever you want to say. We're waiting for the one to get revealed. I think you, like, pay attention. The, waiting for the other shoe to drop, I think, is the There you go. Uh, so, after, yeah, we get that horrific scene at the hospital where Sarah wakes up and learns that her daughter is, is dead. And just her friends comforting her. Except for Juno, who fucked off and they never forgave her for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I guess she couldn't handle being around them after, you know, getting dicked down by the husband secretly for God knows how long. They weren't really doing a great job of keeping it a secret. I mean, he gave her a necklace that had his, like, fucking catchphrase on it. <laughs> love, what is it? Love each day? I think so. Something like that. Um this is also what I like with this, with uh, this, and why we'll get into it later. Which gets in why I prefer the original um, England British ending is that yeah. this starts the recurring dream that she keeps having throughout the movie. After the crash, she sees her daughter with the cake, and it's just a dream that keeps playing 
in but variations as the film progresses to show you kind of where she's at mentally. Yeah, that's true. Um, so after uh, we flash to about a year later, they're all you know getting together in Appalachia to go cave diving. Uh, Sarah, obviously, not quite over such a tragedy, and they're all trying to pep her up, you know, gal, gal trip. It'll be fun. Uh, and Juno completely misleads them about what they're doing, which is so fucked up. You, and you know something's up the moment they get there, and she puts the book up, and you're like, something's up, because why would you do that? Why the fuck would you take the guide? Why would you leave the guide behind? Yeah. And then she's there to teach, like, you know, Holly's there to kind of learn the ropes and she's too eager. Juno lashes out at her a few times. Uh, and there's a, they're going through, you know, it's all it's pretty swimmingly at first, you know, just going through super tight spaces. That freaks me out more than the monsters do, is climbing through the tiny spaces where, like, if you shift your weight the wrong way, even a little bit, the whole thing's coming down. That That's terrifying. Yeah. Well, it's like it's like we were talking about before. Like this movie works so well because initially the horror is the fucking tightness of that cave. It's like, and the what I love is that he does it by if you notice the film is wide open when it first starts, from them doing the little river rafting to the, even the car trip. Um, or actually, car trip. You know, it stays in the car. It's nice and getting enclosed, and something tragic happens. But then it goes back to wide out starts throughout to try to pepper up before we finally get funneled, essentially, us, the audience, into a very tight, confined space for the rest of the film. Oh, yeah, that's not an accident. I'm looking up the cinematographer right now because I'm curious uh, who is responsible for that. Uh, his name is Sam McCurdy. Well done, Sam. Let's see what else he's, he's done. Uh, Game of Thrones, of course. Um, a lot of TV, Pennyworth, Lost in Space, Into the Badlands, uh, The Musketeers, Merlin. Very little, not a lot of films, like very few films. Uh, Hills Have Eyes 2, he was, he was the guy on that. Doomsday, Dog Soldiers. So he works with, um, with Neil Marshall a lot. He's a That's talented good. guy. That's good. Um, good for him. Yeah. No, but yeah, no. between him and Neil Marshall, you're definitely seeing like a, a vision. And like I said, seeing like this film be very wide open before it's it's almost like it's letting you breathe as the audience before you're sucked into that tightness with the characters. Yeah. And the moment really where you get you kind of lose your breath is when Sarah gets stuck. Because all of a sudden oh. it, it turns real. <laughs> yeah. Because even at first in the cave, you're kind of having fun with them. They're like, oh, okay, we're having a good time. Then, yeah, the moment she gets stuck, and the way he filmed it, I noticed this a lot more watching it this time, but how the camera just kind of stays there and is looking at her. So you can really feel the tightness of the fucking cave that or the little system they're going through. And, oh, my God, to say that scene, just I get the most insane amount of claustrophobia and just fear and stuff from ever that scene plays. You know what's amazing? And they never actually filmed any of this in a cave system. Like all of this is a set probably because, you know, it's fucking dangerous to film in real caves like this. And nobody wanted to do it. It's like, I would imagine a, a movie company would put a, 
put an end to that real quick. Can you imagine no marshals just like, hey, so like, uh, I'm thinking, now follow me here. Hey, guys, we film in an actual cave. Don't ask me how we're going to get a crew down there or craft services or anything, but we're going to do it. It's going to be great. Some just, people might die, but they're going to make a damn good movie out of it. I'm just picturing like one of those crawlers with like a little like mini taco plate just kind of chilling before they get going. <laughs> craft services. Uh, <laughs> it actually talks super sophisticated English. He's a graduate of like the Royal Shakespeare Academy. He's been waiting to get into Hollywood like his whole life. This is his first break. So he's like practicing Shakespeare on the side. As soon as Neil yells action, it's back to. (laughs) There has to be somebody in there who this was not quite their dream, but they're making it work. (laughs) It's not quite their tempo, but they're doing it. (laughs) So with Sarah getting stuck. Uh, and having to sacrifice the rope bag, which is a big casualty for them. Uh, the way out, well, the way in caves in. And that bit with Sarah and I think it's Becca or Sam. Might be Beth. I don't I think it was I, Beth. It's hard to. It was Beth. It was Beth. They're all good, but it is hard to kind of differentiate from time to time, um, especially when everything's moving, you know? Um, yeah, they get, when they climb out, and the cave collapses. That's when Juno finally fesses up and says, you know, this is a new cave. We were going to discover it together. And everyone's like, you fucking bitch. You killed us. <laughs> like, she has no backup, no support. Everyone's like, what the fuck? Which I love. I love that everyone's like, yeah, how could you do this? You insane person. Yeah, as it should be. I don't know what she thought when she was like saying that, like, oh, it's no one knows we're here it's an unexplored cave like what do you think they'd be like oh okay well thank you now let's uh let's keep our cool and let's find a way out let's we got this all right girls no no you're going to freak the fuck out yeah definitely uh because now they you know they don't know where to go they go the wrong way they end up you know miles away from you know oxygen like shit shit gets bad i mean they're under the earth uh, in uncharted caves, it's not like there's a way there's anything they can do besides just keep moving. And yeah, Holly gets yeah. overzealous and slips and falls down a hole and breaks her fucking leg. <laughs> oh, yeah. After that very intense, like, chasm, chasm, sorry, oh. chasm sequence where I get over. Oh, man. I still get, like, on the edge of my seat when that scene happens. And, like, nothing scary happens, but it's just a tense scene. Oh, it's great. It makes you think one of them is going to drop. And then I love that they find old equipment and realize they're not the first team to be down here. And what happened to them? (laughs) Yeah, they weren't the first. And uh, the first team didn't fare too well either. Nope. Uh, They did, however, mark a path. So good for them. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Uh, Then, yeah, Holly gets overzealous and it's funny watching now. I was kind of like, even I was kind of getting annoyed. I was like, "Stop running, you dumb bitch!" I was like, "Stop it!" I was like, you, "You're in a cape. You know, you're running through dark. Nothing good happens if you run in the dark. Even if if it's your home or the cave, you hit something or you fall and break your leg." There aren't even monsters yet. Like she's not running away from anything. She's just panicking. Yeah, it's like stop 
panicking. Calm down. Granted, though, if I was in this position, I'm probably going to be the fucker who breaks his leg because I'm going to freak out. I'm not going to know what to do. I'm going to panic. I'm going to. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the first guy to die. I, I would. I know. Yeah, uh, you're going to be the first one to get eaten because you can't run. I can run. Oh, wait, if I break my leg. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I mean, apparently, I, I guess you can't run in a broken leg. No. They try, though. My God, do they try just having her bite down on the on the strap and just pushing the fucking bone back in. Oh, man. <laughs> I fucking hate bone protrusions. That's a big one for me in movies. Yeah, I think what makes this is that the sound effects on this one are just gnarly. I noticed that last night when I was watching, I was like, God, the sound effects are like, oh, like how you can hear every second of the fucking crunch as they're having to put it back into place. The crunch. Oh, God. <laughs> and during oh. the crunch, Sarah sees something out the corner of her eye and is like, wait a minute, what was that? And nobody believes her that she saw a person because she's sad. Therefore, she's hallucinating. Which I think is fucked up. Yeah, they, there's a lot of doubt. <laughs> they keep doubting her quite a bit throughout this movie. Um, yeah, and that's what I like too is that, like, you know, obviously we'll get to the bigger goal, but like, as this movie progresses, um, something I didn't really mention is that No Marshall does a great job of dropping the hints of what's going on. Like you said, with the finding the old equipment, hearing noises every so often, and I mean, like, what was that? And then this one in this scene where she's looking and you just see in the distance something clearly moving. Like something look, someone's eating, looked at her and then ran. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, what's going on? Like, what the fuck did they just get themselves into? Oh, yeah. It's super great. Super creepy. Uh, and we first see this thing uh, proper through the video camera that Holly was using to document the experience. And uh, it's so great. It's it's one of the best scares ever. Because at that point, you're not quite sure what is following them, but you know something is. And that reveal is so fucking freaky. Just what is that? There's it's one of to me to this day one of the best reveals like in the horror movie history. Like up to when the shark comes up out of the water in Jaws for the first time that you witness. It gets up there to me in that kind of like moments like i can to this day vividly remember watching this for the first time going okay this is good but i heard those monsters when are they going to pop up like and when they got to that scene with the camera i remember jumping so fucking hard as a kid like it it legit got me when i was a kid i was like oh my like i had a moment of like oh my god what's going on this movie just changed directions and, you know, obviously it doesn't give me so seen the movie so many times, but it's still such a great and effective scene because you, you don't see it coming. You're in such, like, you know something's going to happen at some point because they keep giving, like I said, they're giving those hints. But there's, you know, Noah Marshall does such a great job of not doing, like, a big dramatic reveal or all any of this stuff. He, he, he kind of, like, doles your senses down so that when it does happen, you're just like, oh, shit. Yeah, it's awesome. And every all of a sudden, like now, this is a monster movie. It was a survival movie. Now it's a monster movie. And uh, they just start running, and this thing just grabs Holly and just drags her away. And they can't do fucking anything about it. I love Juno's trying to like pull her, and the monster's just like grabbing, starts clawing at Holly, just ripping her open. <laughs> like what the fuck? 
This movie takes matter. a hard left. It gets mad at her too for a second. It looks it just it doesn't even try to eat it. It just gets bothered, like, dude, leave my food alone. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah, like, this is how it works. You're in my house. <laughs> Get out of here. And uh Juno starts, you know, attacking the monsters with her her climbing pick and gets panicked and stabs Beth in the throat. Uh, it's a hell of a moment. Yeah. And still, I remember that was another one that got me as a kid. Cause I remember just like, I think I visibly had a moment as kid. I went, oh shit. Like as soon as it happened, because it's like you don't expect that to happen. You're just like, oh, okay, she's gonna get one of the monsters. No, it's Beth who was apparently walking away from one relatively safely just to get a fucking pickaxe to the goddamn throat. Well, and, you know, Juno doesn't, you know, put her out of her misery or fess up to it. She just leaves Beth to bleed out in a sea of monsters. She's she's not a great friend. No, no. And she doesn't tell anyone what she did, you know. She's like, oh, God, keep it quiet. Beth is dead. Cuckoo, cuckoo. Um, well, kind of dead. Yeah, we find out later. She's just been lying there, drowning in her own blood for quite some time, uh, but not quite yeah. dead, which is, got. oh my God, it's a fate worse than death. Uh, especially since she thinks that they've all abandoned her. Ugh. So creepy. Yeah, her, to me, like, her, like, her death isn't, like, the most grisliest you see on screen. And really, now, like, this movie has the gore. Don't get me wrong. This movie has the gore. Not the most insane gore I've seen, but it has the gore. Um, but with that said, like, it's more like the thought. Like, the thought of her is kind of disturbing. Because, you know, she gets that to the neck, which apparently does not kill her. <laughs> and then she's in a different spot. She's found in a different spot. So one of those monsters grabbed her and dragged and we're assuming eat a little bit. Oof. So the, the implications, to quote Dennis, <laughs> are terrifying. Oh, my God. <laughs> right. I saw, just off topic real quick, I saw somebody photoshopped a Goosebumps book and called it The Implication and mm-hmm. had Dennis on it, and it said, like, like she could, but she won't. Like that was the tagline. It was so fucked up. <laughs> oh, and it was the classic cover. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, I have my order of the third 10. I don't know if you've noticed they've been releasing 10 cases of Goosebumps novels with the original covers, and they'll put like five books in there at a time. That's cool. I've gotten the first two, and they just kind of throw them and it's on the way. So I have like I'll have 15 classic Goosebumps novels with the original covers. I had quite the collection back in the day, but I was forced to give them up in middle school because my parents thought they were too childish for me and I should be reading more challenging stuff, which blows. So I lost all my goosebumps. Yeah, my parents, I don't get rid of mine. She never explained why, but I had a pretty good collection when I was a kid. Oh, good times. We got to do goosebumps on here one time just so we can talk about that shit for the whole, the whole show. <laughs> Yeah, ooh, that might be the like October one for next year. Definitely. We didn't really get to do a lot of personal cho- uh, picks for this October because there was so much coming out that we wanted to time with. You know, we had James Bond, we had Halloween Kills, 
we didn't really get to make our own October schedule this year. I mean, we we had some good episodes. I'm just saying, you know, I like picking classics. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely next year, you know, we can actually do Halloween three. Yeah. It's already on the schedule. (laughs) Um, If you have a second uh, change on that one. Yeah, it happens. Um, Both ends as we've won Rosemary's Baby with me. So, yeah. The second watch. We could turn that into a whole nother podcast. It's a great title. (laughs) We won't. We're too fucking busy. Just don't get your hopes up. Yeah, I don't. I got enough on my plate right now. Um, so Sarah watches Holly get eaten. I'm fairly certain alive, which was to me the grisliest moment of the movie, where she's just sitting there, kind of unsure of what to do, while Holly just gets ripped open. <laughs> oh yeah, dude! And watching it do like the video camera, and then she has like quick mo where she's about to gag. And you see the creature look at her, and it's like right up on her face. And I'm like, oh my god, don't say anything. But I think that's how she realizes that these things are blind and they hunt by sound, which is good. Good thing to know. Um, right, almost dying. <laughs> so Juno uh, was indeed uh, fucking Sarah's husband. Beth, like when Sarah finds Beth, Beth uses her last words to say, Juno did this and she was sleeping with your husband. I love that that's like her last act on earth is to tell Sarah how exactly how much of a bitch Juno is. Yeah. I love how like, she's like, okay, Friday, you have to know how horrible this friend is. She is the asshole friend in the group. All right. Not only did she fucking put this goddamn pickaxe in my throat, she fucked her husband. Now you take your pick, which one's worse, but they're both pretty bad. Actually, I wanted to bring that up. Might as well do it now. At the end, when Sarah, you know, faces Be- uh, faces Juno, gets her in the leg to hobble her so that the creatures get her first. You think she was doing that for Beth or she was doing that for Paul? Which one do you think more? Oh, you're, so both is an option since you're going to say more. Oh, she definitely it was. It was a combo, but there was definitely more on her mind at the time. I'm going to say, I'm actually going to say Beth. I think Paul was sad, but you always got the feeling she was more, obviously, obviously more depressed about her child. Um, So I'm going to say Beth. Maybe. Yeah. I don't think it's so much about Paul being dead. I think it's about the the ongoing betrayal and looking in her eyes and saying how sorry she is for so long, knowing that she was, you know, destroying their marriage. And I think that yeah. came through in the end of like, she remembered all that and was like, Oh, you're not making it out of this cave alive. Yeah. I, I don't especially, know. Especially if we act like there was never a sequel made to make it out of that cave alive. So um, I also want to touch on another Dan, we could say iconic in a way on this scene. Um, a moment was before she finds her dead body when she falls into the pool of blood. Oh man! <laughs> and I mean, one of the most—it's on—it's on the Blu-ray for anyone who has the Blu-ray. I don't know if they come out with near Blu-ray, but my Blu-ray has that as cover. Mine too. Um, it, <laughs> it, I've seen it in video games. The Tomb Raider reboot—they had a scene where Lara Croft falls into a pool of blood, and she comes out of it like it's one of the most 
recognizable moments from the film and it's such a fucking awesome moment because like when you realize what she falls into you're like that's blood that's a lot of blood and she comes up out of it and she's like oh my god and that fucking thing comes over to her oh the the way the creatures just kind of saunter into into frame is so creepy like there's never like a it's never a jump scare it's always like a now it's here it's it's so fucking weird you have plenty of time to realize it's coming yeah like in that scene she's getting out of the water and there's no jump scare you just see this thing pop up out of the water and lunge at her and you're like oh what the fuck (laughs) oh god I do like that later on Tomb Raider would kind of pay homage because earlier in the movie, you've got one of them said something about like, I'm not fucking Tomb Raider. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's cool. And Tomb Raider is also British. Yes, she is. Lara Croft. I never got into those games. I, I had one of them on PlayStation 1 as a kid, and I couldn't figure out how to play it. I don't, I'm not big into the original one, but they did a reboot in 2013. No, it was just called Tomb Raider. Um, for like at the time, the PlayStation Three. I think they re-released it for the Four. Um, but that one was really good. It played a lot more like action adventure. Admittedly, it played a lot more like Uncharted. But I took that as a positive because I really liked how it played. Yeah. Um, well, I'm. But, yeah, I'm a big Uncharted fan. I love all of those games. So. Okay, but also it played a lot like that as far as like the style and everything. A little bit darker, I would say, throughout. Whereas I know Uncharted will be light and goofy, and then do those supernatural twists at the end. Whereas this, all three games they did were kind of dark throughout the whole thing. Um, but it did so well that yeah, they did Rise of the Tomb Raider for the PS4 and um, Shadow for the PS4 as well. Um, all three were good in my opinion. Cool. All three were good in my opinion. So. All right. Well. Mm, I don't maybe. I've kind of I'm kind of good on games. I think I've I've, I've got all the games I want. I think I'm okay. No, I'm, I'm a whore for games. I just picked up Far Cry Six for my PS5. They're coming out with that Grand Theft Auto, the Definitive Edition trilogy, which three Vice City and San Andreas remastered. I'm probably gonna pick that up for my Switch. I, I'm gonna buy God of War Ragnarok, and then I'm then I'm gonna nope. Then I'll buy Spider-Man 2, and then I'll stop. That's, that's all I want. I've got so much to juggle, it's fucking crazy. And also, I just don't have the zeal I used to for video games. To me, it's like it's like a chore now. So you're not going to play the Marvel game from the uh, Uncharted people? Or a lady, I should say? What Marvel game? So the, the the director lady here was in charge of Uncharted originally when it first came out. Okay. She got to the second or third game to form her own studio. She got tasked with working on a secret project and she wasn't revealing anything about it for like the longest time. Last week it was revealed she's working on a Marvel property and that's why she hasn't been talking about it. She's been working closely with Marvel on it. I don't know. Their track record in games kind of sucks. I don't know about that. Uh, not with Spider-Man. And you're talking about a lady that is in, did work on a, one of the premier Sony exclusives. I have faith in this one. It's whenever they work with apparently someone like Square Enix that did that shitty Adventures game. I'm not paying full price. 
I'm like Mac at the Italian market when it comes to video games. I'm not paying full price. God, I know. It's... I, I don't, I'm not going to just throw around 60 bucks for a game I might like. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. Well, you have to take the risk. No, I don't. Yes. <laughs> I don't have to take anything. I'm fine. Just got to take the risk. Either way, we got a Marvel game coming from the lady who worked on the Uncharted series, so I'm fucking excited. Well, good for you. You can you can blow 60, 70 bucks on, on that game and let me know how it is. It'll be amazing. Don't you worry. No. Nice. Um, negative Nancy. I'm not a negative Nancy. I am a practical Paul. And I, I, I like, I'll buy games, just not full price. Like under 20 bucks is my, is my threshold. You live in a in an age of gaming we don't live in anymore. No, all I gotta do is wait. I got God of War for eighteen bucks. Like all I had to do is wait a few years. I'm in no hurry. Red Dead's almost, you know, it's twenty five now used. All I gotta do is wait probably till Christmas. Oh my God, <laughs> yeah, it's called the long game. You should play it sometime. No, because I like enjoying it now. I forgot where we were in the movie. I don't <laughs> pool of blood, I believe. Yes. That's what uh, changed. Um there's that scene where Becca or Sam, I think we just I think we even learned it was Becca, gets ripped apart while dangling from the from the ceiling of the no. cave. Nope. Sam. It was Sam? God damn it. I, I told you you fucked this up. <laughs> <laughs> They're interchangeable for me, man. It's hard to to, to make that clear. I mean, at least they're not maybe, so that's good. Oh my god! Only, only you remember that. No, Josh does too. <laughs> you forget the part that we live together now. So cool. Um, I don't know. You you give me five minutes in one of those baby crawlers, I'll I'll fuck that thing up. We know you well. I, yeah. You've proven you're. We cannot trust you around babies. Yeah, children. but I can kill as many monster babies as I want. Nobody cares. Oh, that's you're so a monster. You know, in part two, I was not expecting them to fall into a pile of shit. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, that was uncomfortable. Didn't care for that. That was unnecessary. Care for that movie, but Ugh. um, so Sarah is now pretty fucked uh, mentally after falling into a vat of blood and uh, crawling out. Uh, she manages to stumble onto Juno and gives her the opportunity to fess up. Says, you know, you watched Beth die, right? And Juno says, yeah. And that's when I'm, and I think Sarah makes a decision, like, I'm going to kill this bitch. <laughs> I think right there. Yeah. And you know what? Juno had it coming. I wanted her to die so goddamn hard. Yeah, I don't think it was a she had to go in a much more spectacular, painful way, I think, for for everything she's done. And we kind of just get like a mini redemption arc in part two, and like she gets a little sliced in the belly and bleeds out, which I don't think is, is fair. She should have. Well, again, part two doesn't count. No Mothra did not direct it. I don't consider it canon. It's, it it's canon, count. man. It's not up to you. It's up to no, because whatever you know, studio did this, you know, it's the preferred ending anyway. The the original uh British ending, so you know what? It doesn't even follow the canon ending, 
Suck it. I don't care. What? I don't care. <laughs> but yeah, there are two kind of endings to this film. There's the British ending, which is uh, considerably more bleak and un-American, which is why the studio that bankrupt that bankrolled this project said, like, for America, you need a better. She's got to live because we in America cannot tolerate a sad fucking ending. Everything has to end in sunshine and lollipops. And I don't really know why we don't need like, let us have a little bit of grim reality once in a while. Yeah. I, I don't get it. It's like, there's so many movies I've watched. I realized I've been watching like the butterfly, even some that was back to me, like the butterfly effect. And they're just like, no, don't do that ending. It's too grim. And I'm like, okay, look, I get it. Movies are an escape from reality. But at the same time, I'm firmly a believer of like the ending should be dictated based off your movie. It yeah. needs to fit your themes, your your message, your story, whatever you're telling, that ending needs to fit. If it is a dark ending, go for it as long as it fits. That's why I say like to me in the butterfly effect, uh, director's ending, it fits. It's dark, it's nihilistic as fuck, but it fits the movie. Same with this. To me, it fits because it continues dealing with that theme of trauma, that theme of grief that is carried throughout this film and how um, Sarah, there you go, is feeling in, you know, with everything going on with the loss of her husband, daughter, finding out Gina was fucking her husband, you know, weird bat creature of people attacking them and eating them. Like everything, right, going on and this ending the versioning really hammers that home of like you know she never truly mentally escapes or she's just not going to physically escape this place how fucked is it when your all of your friends getting eaten alive by bat creatures isn't even the worst thing that happened to you that year like I just feel so bad for her <sighs> Jesus, she's lost everything. She has nothing left. Her whole life is is gone. Everyone she ever cared about. Oh. Yeah, and that's why that ending works. Because at that point, I'd probably say, "Okay, I'd be like, what do I have to live for if I get out of this cave?" Yeah, but also to have that moment of like seeing her escape and then realizing she didn't that she's trapped in there. Oh. Goddamn. Oh my God, yes. And then it's just like, I think what really haunts me with that ending is when you see her, she's sitting there and she's looking at her daughter, and you finally see the full dream she's been having where she's looking at her and it's her birthday and they're having this great time. And the camera cuts to a side view of her and she's sitting there alone, smiling to herself. And you can hear the fucking creatures in the background. And it's just Dude. like, oh my God. And then the producers screen, you know, Marshall screened that for the producers and they were like, great movie, except for one thing. So in America, she does escape. There is no final twist that she's hallucinating it. She gets out of there. She gets in the truck. She fucks off. Uh, and the sequel is built upon that ending. Uh, I'm assuming the sequel was like more of an American production. Yeah, Marshall uh, had nothing to do with it. He claimed an executive producer credit, but that was it. And even then, it was a, it was like he, I remember if I recall correctly, when I was on the Bloody Disgusting site back in the day, reading up on this, because I remember initially when they first saw this, I was like, oh, shit, they're making a sequel. 
And one of my red flags was like, Marshall was like, yeah, I'm an executive producer, but like, I'm not really doing much on it. I'm, I think he was filming Doomsday or something. Like he was filming something else. He's like, I'm going to film something else. I'm not really attached to this. Like this, I'm not, the studio wants this more than I do. Like you could tell it was just like, he didn't want the sequel, but he obviously isn't going to turn down the money from having an executive producer credit. So, and it was like, all right, well, I have my movie I made. I'll put my, you know, sort of producer, but fuck it. If you want to make the movie, you're going to make the movie. I think it was his attitude. Like, I'm, I can't stop you. Ah, the John Carpenter approach. Nice. Uh, well, we'll get, we'll talk about it in a minute. First up, here's some filmgasm facts. Number one, the appearance of the creatures was kept secret from the cast until the first scene in which they encounter them was filmed. When the cast was finally, uh, when the cast were finally filming the scene where the girls encountered the crawlers, they were genuinely scared. That was the first time any of them had actually seen the creature in full makeup. <laughs> that is awesome. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah. So the reactions are like, what the fuck? Like very genuine. Like, oh my God, that's terrifying. <laughs> that's awesome. Number two, Tobin Bell, uh, who plays Jigsaw in the Saw franchise said in an interview that this was one of his favorite horror films. So just a little, little nugget of fun for that for you there. Oh, that just makes me happy. <laughs> Jigsaw approved horror film. Oh, yeah. Uh, number three, the scene where Sarah finds Beth barely clinging to life originally featured some, quote, truly shit dialogue, and the actors let that be known. Neil Marshall agreed. And the three went to a nearby pub the night before filming and rewrote the dialogue on a napkin. The film's producer chewed Marshall out for it, but he also agreed the scene was vastly improved. Now, that's pretty cool. I like when a writer could admit their, their words are shit and they, it can be better. You got you to be able to do that as a writer. Yeah. And I love how the producer just shoot, chewed him out. Like, how dare you make it better? Like, <laughs> fuck off, dude. <laughs> See, this is what I'm talking about. Like, this is why you no know, Marshall did not get. To even you know continue to be the bigger success, he should have. I mean, he got steady work, so I'm not gonna say he like was a failure process movie because that's not true at all. You got he kept doing movies, and there are fans of Doomsday and Centurion and stuff like that. But like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like it's so weird to like after this, you would think he'd be like you'd be hearing about him like James Wan and Label now, which just constantly oh the new No Marshall movie, the new No Marshall movie. But it's like he kept getting sucked doing movies where producers come in and fuck with them and tell them what to do and how to do it. And it's like, leave him the fuck alone. He's proven with his first two movies. He knows how to take a cast and give us believable, nuanced characters and put them in a horrific situation and keep us on the edge of our seats. So why do you insist on fucking with them so much? Eventually, the apex being Hellboy. Like, why would you do that? And then, like you said, he delivers some of the best episodes of Game of Thrones. I know a lot of people like his episodes. So it's like, why again? And I'm sure they left him alone to a decent amount. It's a show a little different for that. But it's like, so, yeah, why? He's clearly a brilliant writer. He's a brilliant director. Leave him the fuck alone and make his movie. Well, I feel like just the constant producer interference and not getting to make his own mark is kind of disillusioned him. I'm getting that vibe of like, he doesn't want to do this anymore if he can't get to do it his way, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's why I've been wanting to watch The Reckoning because when I listened to the interview, he sounded 
he made that comment. He did say that he was starting to kind of not feel like he really had to reassess because it was like, okay, it's his birthday. Because you know, besides like some TV gigs with Game of Thrones, he hasn't haven't had the best luck with movies and dealing with these producers. And in, when he did the reckoning, he said, you know, he wrote it. He was like, I'm doing this myself. I'm working in it with people that I know want, want to make this movie. Like he really tacked as like not just his return to kind of like full on horror because you know he's his movies kind of passes for like dabble in horror, but not nearly as much as his first two. Um so kind of going back to that, but going back to an indie thing, that was his big thing. He's like he wanted to go indie because he's like, if I do this, I'll be left alone. I can make the kind of movies I want to make. Yeah, that's the place to be. I think, if, you know, if you want to be creative, I think we've talked about this on this show or at least sneak preview. I remember bringing this up at one point, but, you know, independent film is where creativity, like, blossoms. And Hollywood is really just churning them out. There's, you don't, you don't feel a lot of, you know, connection to big Hollywood releases. Sometimes you do, but not, not often. Whereas, a lot of indie films, you can kind of tell how this was built and, who, you know, people cared about it. You know, I don't know. That's just, I, I know yeah, this isn't like anything new. It's just something I like. Yeah, it's just the movie world works like this. Like indie is like people that are very passionate about what they do and you get a lot more heartfelt movies out of it. Unfortunately, it's not where the money's at. So a lot of times they're probably living like we are, honestly, just making movies. But yeah. then, you know, the Hollywood blockbusters, yeah, the movies are clearly like they're trying them out. It's a machine. They're doing whatever's whatever's making my boxers. That's what they want to do. But the paychecks are really, really fucking good. Yeah. No, it sucks. I wish that we could find some kind of happy medium where, you know, the indie filmmakers get money and the Hollywood producers get to, you know, make something worthwhile. Maybe once we actually get producers that know a thing or two about movies instead of just producers as they are now. Well, they can't all be Jason Blum and Kevin Feige. (laughs) I keep hoping those guys like the future of what we'll get. Hopefully. So there was one sequel, 2009's The Descent Part 2, which follows the American ending where Sarah escapes. When the authorities can't find the other girls, she's forced to take them back to the cave, and it all happens again. Uh, the entire cast returned for small cameos. It was not well received, pretty hated among the fan base. Uh, the creature design is a little different. Uh, the lighting is ridiculously high, which I thought was weird. And uh, only the, I, I like the cast. I, I like seeing Josh Dallas die. That was cool. Um, I watched all of Once Upon a Time and Charming never got a fucking scratch. So it was nice to see him actually take one. For once. I haven't seen the show, so I'm, I'm glad you had that moment for yourself. The first three seasons are so fucking good. And then after Elsa from Frozen showed up, it all went to shit. Yeah. Okay. I I got too much TV on my plate right now that I will I will pencil it in somewhere. Don't bother. I'm not I mean, I'm, like Robert Carlyle does a great job as Rumpelstiltskin. He plays like a very, they call him the dark one. And he, he saves that show the entire runtime. So he, he's why I kept going back. Okay. I was like, I think I'll just stick with the new 
episodes are Chucky and Day of the Dead, and um, I know what you did last summer. Stick with those. You do you. I just yeah. Um, but uh, it's it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like why would the why would a cop why would the cop drag a trauma victim back to the scene of the crime like that? Throw her back in the caves. Like at that point, they weren't even suspecting her of foul play. So like, what the fuck? It the movie just God, it's so incredibly unnecessary. Yeah, and because and then like you know with the caves being lit so bright this time, it looks so fucking cheap to me. Like it's just a cheap feeling because they just are lighting it up as much as they can. And the, because then because of it, the creatures I just look god fucking awful in my opinion. I don't think they look nearly as good as they do in the original. And they are clearly also trying to do like even more of them than the first one did. And I'm not saying the first one has like a small amount. There are scenes where they try to put as much as the camera, but what they put looked good. This one tries to put even more, and none of it looks good. Um, it was neat seeing the alpha. That was kind of cool. Like big old bastard. Yeah, but I kind of need that. And then I wasn't, I wasn't clamoring to see like the leader of this. I just wasn't something I was really clamoring for. One thing I thought was odd: why did the old guy hit the one cop lady at the end with a shovel and like give her to the creatures? What the fuck was that? Yeah, it pulls a fucking like. That's how they've been feeding though. It was like again, not paying attention to the first movie clearly with this sequel. It's established that they've been going out and hunting probably at like night or something and then going back. And now it's like, oh no, we've been feeding them. And also, this is the thing too, right? The first one talks about the biggest glaring fucking hole. First one talks about how this is an unexplored cave. That's one of the terrifying things about this movie. That's when you, your heart sinks when you watch me and you're like, no, no one's explored this cave. Yeah. And you're just like, oh shit, they're not getting out of this. In this movie, apparently this cave has been explored because there's fucking systems I can go down there. The locals know about it. Like, apparently this cave's existed and been well known. And it's like, oh, it's like, okay, so what was, what was all that shit about? No one knows about this cave. Yeah, that was a big, that's a big fat hole. I completely, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, why is there a mine? There's a, there's a mine there. Like, there's an elevator down to these people. Huh. Yeah. That's fucked. <laughs> yeah, it's like this. That's why it's like, and that's why fans, fans and myself hate it. It's like this movie just completely doesn't give a shit what was established in the first one. Like I said, no Marshall. He put his name on there and was like, just stayed away because it's like I'm not. I hope I'll take any money I get off this movie, but it's I'm, this is not my descent movie because he didn't want to make a sequel. There was no need for a sequel. There was no call for it. And this movie proves why we didn't need a sequel. And then, like I said, Juno coming back for a redemption arc, like, like, no. There's no no way that she should have a redemption arc, in my opinion. Yeah. Descent 2 kind of sucks. Yeah, you win. I knew I could convince you. I, I never said it was good. I just said it wasn't terrible. That was still too much for me. I was like, you're being way too forgiving on this movie, sir. You well, can't tell me that this movie isn't terrible, but you were disappointing antlers. How dare you? I didn't think that was 
I mean, at least, you know, Descent 2 didn't. No. All right. I won't go there. I won't go there. Antlers, Carols were way better. Had better go in the Lightning was superb. Lightning and Antlers sucked. I disagree with that. I don't know. The Lightning was great. (sighs) Not the time. Antlers is going to have to get its own filmgasm at one point just so we can kind of unpack that movie proper. You know, I like it a lot more than you do. Okay. Your trophy's in the mail. I don't know what you expect from that. (laughs) My trophy's already here. (laughs) I give The Descent a nine. It's one of the smartest and scariest horror movies of the 2000s and a genuine favorite of mine. I am going to give it a 10. This is... This is a flawless movie to me. Um, and well, based off the brush ending, uh, that American ending, and then the last minute jump scare is so fucking stupid. But, um, tell me this though if you hadn't seen the British ending, would it still bother you? If I hadn't seen it, yeah, if it just ended uh, with her escaping and you knew nothing about this alternate ending, that wouldn't bother me, but that jump scare thing would. That last second, like, fucking jump scare, because I'm so tired of studios doing that shit, but they're like, oh, boo, credits. Like, yeah. it's so fucking annoying. Um, I don't know. Probably not, but fact matter is, there is a British ending that is better, and it exists. And it, just, but with that, go ahead. With that said, I mean, it's still a 10 out of 10 film for me. I mean, from Marshall's direction to the performances, again, to the fact that, like, so many people... I don't. I haven't met anyone that has watched this movie and has told me yet they get scared before the creatures come on. It's that fucking good and that fucking tense before the creatures come on. They're like you said, they're the the cherry on top of this movie. And I mean, you have probably two. I would say two of the most iconic. I know Josh really hates that word. I found out, Um, but I would argue that you know the monster reveal and the blood. Uh, pool thing, whatever you want to call it, are iconic because I, I, they're just everyone knows that shit from this movie. Those two scenes in particular, um, but yeah, just everything about this movie I loved. I loved it since I first saw it as a kid. It's been a favorite of mine. I love showing it to people and seeing how they react. Ten out of ten. Cool. Yeah, no complaints here. I did just realize that I left out a filmgasm fact. I forgot to read out number four. So let me go ahead and do that real quick. Uh, Prior to the release of the sequel, it was speculated among fans that the crawlers may have been a figment of Sarah's imagination and that she actually killed all her friends as she gradually went insane. Interesting. Director Neil Marshall acknowledged this theory as a possibility and revealed that he removed a shot of a silhouetted crawler during Sarah's hospital hallucination since it would have been too obviously suggesting that the crawlers weren't real. So there it's possible that these things never existed and Sarah just snapped and murdered her friends. Oh, see, again, ignore the shitty sequel that they even have Marshall's direction. That's a pretty awesome theory. And yeah. again, if you go by the, the British ending, like I said, it ends where she's sitting there at peace with her daughter, right, her dead daughter, and you just hear them in the background. It yeah. could still be in her head. She could still be, you know, hearing it in her head. Yep, a lot of possibilities with this one. Uh, Well, thanks for listening, everybody. If you like what we do, feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Filmgasm Productions. If you want to suggest films for us to check out, you can email us at filmgasm at gmail.com or send us a message 
through the socials. If you want to support the show through Anchor, you can click on support this podcast on your preferred podcast provider. Anything is appreciated, but not necessary. Thank you for listening. Uh, Next week, the cycle continues with Oscar Sunday host Austin Johnson's pick, the 1972 Brian De Palma thriller Sisters, starring Margot Kidder, Jennifer Salt, and Charles Durning. A small-time reporter tries to convince the cops that she witnessed a murder in the apartment across the street, murder, psychological terror, and conjoined twins in next week's episode. Also, don't miss a Best Picture showdown on Nomadland on Oscar Sunday and a triple threat of Eternals, Spencer, and The Harder They Fall on Monday's sneak preview. Until then, never go cave diving unless they're pre-mapped and you've told at least five people where you're going and when to expect you back. Might as well stay home and keep watching movies. Thank you.